We are so excited to welcome Greg Bayer. Um, he is the founder and co-chair of Remake Learning. He is actually in his 14th year as executive director of the Grable Foundation. Uh, Greg manages a grant-making portfolio which advances high-quality early childhood education, improved teaching and learning in public schools, and robust out-of-school time support. You can find more information about Remake Learning at remakelearning.org. Nationally, Greg is a former board chair for both Grantmakers for Education and Grantmakers for Effective Organizations. And in 2016, this is pretty cool, President Obama recognized Greg as a champion of change. Uh, And he's also the author of a new book. It's called When You Wonder, You're Learning. I'm excited to pick this book up. Um, It's the tagline on it is Mr. Rogers Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, and caring kids. So let's bring on Greg. Welcome, Greg. I am super excited to have you join us. Um, thank you so much for for taking the time to come on Ed's Not Dead. Uh, after I attended the WISE panel on learning ecosystems, which is the, I've had to remind myself, the World Innovation Summit for Education, and I, I watched your your what you were talking about on that panel, um, at, at, and you and I were on the same time zone with 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 being at like 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> I, was, I was like, we have to get him on the show. So welcome. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Um, and and as, as I said, we, we connected with, through this, through why, uh, World Innovation Summit for Education. Um, and you were talking, the, the whole purpose of this panel was about learning ecosystems. And, and, I, and I must say, as we were talking off air, um, that I am, I am very much new to this concept. But we wanted to have you on to talk about what your experience with with, with regard to remake learning and the kind of work that you're all doing in schools in Pittsburgh and West Virginia. Um, so my first question is to start from a, a basement level. What, what is a learning ecosystem? Simply put, I think a learning ecosystem is, is the learning landscape in any community, any city, urban or rural. It's the schools, but it's also the libraries, the museums, the after-school programs, the early learning centers. And the question about learning ecosystems is, can we do a better job of connecting all of the grown-ups, the caring adults, the teachers, the librarians, those youth workers in those settings so that we do better, more comprehensively on behalf of kids and really think about the places we live as learning campuses right. and not just as places where we separately learn. And I love this. I, that's such a succinct way to put it because as I was thinking about it, you know, education reform and education innovation typically is, um, you know, siloed, right? Yes. And it seems like th- these ecosystems are part, there's part concrete plans for, for reform and innovation to improve education. And then there's, there's, a, there's another part, which is like shifting of belief systems. So like, what, what, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and, and I'll tell you very clearly, as we sit here in 2021, even though this word learning ecosystems has gotten at least some resonance in the education field, we did not set out in 2006 to create a learning ecosystem. Right, right? right. you didn't like mark yeah. it on the whiteboard or anything? <laughs> so we're here in Pittsburgh, and the question before us that we started asking ourselves then was this. Could Pittsburgh become one of the great places on planet Earth to be a kid 
and made easier to raise kids. And so when we started asking ourselves that question, one of the things we started asking ourselves was, well, what could we do to really connect all of the places where kids learn? Because yes, schools are critical. And we also know that kids spend only 14 to 20% of their waking hours in a school building. How do we think about all of those other waking hours right. that might be online at home, might be in an after-school program, could be at a park or children's museum with family on the weekend? And what if we started connecting those folks? And um, back in 2006 and 2007, when we started asking that question, we also found ourselves talking not only with educators, but designers, technologists, right. gamers, artists, others who are asking that question. So in many ways, the work of Remake Learning over 15 years, and it now is a network. It is now an ecosystem of more <laughs> than 600 schools, museums, libraries, early learning centers, all of these sites of learning, thousands of people involved, teachers and educators, but also allies to educators. It really is a narrative about reimagining, remaking what learning can be. And, um, and so much of the work is practical about the ways that we connect a museum and a library school, but it's also the storytelling about what learning needs to be and how we get there to advance relevant, engaging, and equitable learning. And that, I, that brings me to a, like an interesting thought about, you know, it with when we would do, you know, there's, we would invite folks to come into our school. We had, I remember one year we had a, a, a Baltimore area theater come in and they came in to work with our kids and it was great, but it was in hindsight, pretty haphazard and it was a one-off thing. So, so how I'm hearing this is like, this is, as you're saying, this ecosystem, it is both embedded and just threaded through a, a student's learning experience and education experience. Is that, is that accurate? It is. I, I won't pretend to say that we've gotten to the place where we've created genuine learning pathways for kids all across sure. the city. But what we are doing is working to better connect the adults. So what is it that Remake Learning does? What are the things that if you're a teacher at a school or you're the head of a, libra uh, a library that you could do? Well, you can turn to Remake Learning and their grants catalytic grants that maybe allow you to experiment in a new way, an artist and a math teacher working together. What would that look like? What would they do? Um, tens of millions of dollars over 15 years that have allowed educators and others to work together on new projects like that, that just build new relationships between people and organizations. Two, there are a lot of meetups and conferences and events, things that just build the social networks and trust so that, you know, maybe you're the only teacher in your building that really has this orientation of, of driving toward a different type of learning environment. But when networked across the city, suddenly you have allies in other school buildings, right. you have allies in other organizations, people you can turn to. So really building the network of support for the adults. There's a lot of documentation communication. So podcasts and videography and photographs and articles and blogs and media partnerships with our local CBS station and NPR station. So that public narrative and storytelling. There are conference delegations. Um, you know, COVID struck and we, um, it was unfortunate because we had a hundred people from Pittsburgh that were headed down to Austin to South by Southwest EU as wow. a cohort, you know, a team of people from across the city who were going to experience that together. And we do those types of things you know, whether it's gallery walks locally or delegations going elsewhere, you know, the work to just stir our thinking about what's possible. So there are things that you can avail yourself of, like money, networking, 
events, communications, and otherwise to support what it is that you're doing in the place that you're leading or teaching? So my, uh, and, and I was thinking about this earlier, about this, this idea of um, the storytelling that you talked about at, at the wise, uh, at the summit, the panel the, uh, last week. And I'm thinking back to Zretta Hammond's work on culturally responsive teaching in the brain. And I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I think the, the, the population of Pittsburgh, although, you know, what, 50, 60% white, there is a 25% or so who are African-American, black African-American. Zretta Hammond's work, some of it focuses on thinking about our students' cultures in terms of collectivist versus individualistic, the, the incorporation of storytelling. So tell us, can you tell our listeners about how do you see or how have you seen the work of learning ecosystems on the ground as it pertains to students' race and, and culture and equity? Yeah. And it's, um, first of all, hard questions. Ideally, we are confronting those questions. And ideally, over 15 years, we've gotten better about talking um, about racism and other matters of justice in our community. So I'll give you some very concrete examples. So Remake Learning, for example, has any number of working groups. So regional collectives that are working, for example, on computational thinking or STEM and STEAM learning, maker-centered learning. There's a specific project centered around what's called shifting power. So -hmm. this is the work of 20 Black and Latinx um, educators working alongside researchers and others to advance new work differently. Right. Um, Attentive to cultural responsiveness, attentive to identity building and other issues of race, gender, and otherwise. So that's an example of a concrete project. There's also the storytelling, right? When we think about the images of photographs, about who gets to write, about whose voice is being elevated in a podcast, being really attentive to um, the storytelling of the work and who's telling the story and who's writing the story. I think about something like Remake Learning Days too. So Remake Learning Days is a regional festival of innovative learning designed for parents, families, and caregivers. So if you think about Remake Learning as a network really serving the educators, Remake Learning Days is an annual event that allows parents and families to understand what's happening in our schools, our museums, and libraries, how learning is being remade, how how to connect their um, kids and support their kids in this environment, and really start to demand, to, to know how to start building demand Um, for new ways of learning. I mentioned Remake Learning Days because in that very first year when it launched in 2016 and more nearly 30,000 families came out to 250 events that were held all across the city and the region. From day one, there was a a deliberate design element to make sure that there were um, events in low resource neighborhoods as as well as rural areas, that there was marketing to support that work And when we looked at that data from that first year and we looked at attendance across zip codes, Mm. six of the seven zip codes from which we saw the highest levels of participation are what one would call low income zip codes. And so um, I don't say that to say, you know, our work is perfect. It's far from it, but it does mean that there's an element of, of equity built into our work. And uh, I think every day we're getting a little bit better about talking about justice and what justice means when we think about innovation, um, because you can't have innovation without justice. 
Sure. And, and I mean, it's, 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 I think it speaks to obviously the work, the work that we are doing as, as educators and as and in schools, I mean, the, the thread of race needs to be in embedded in what we're doing and, and how we're talking about uh, education reform. Uh, we're, we're two white males sitting here talking about the reforms that need to happen to schools, but it's also in, in terms of powering the empowering the, the populations in which we serve. And um, I, I think that's re- that sounds like a really, I mean, it seems like it's really embedded into what you, the day-to-day work that you're doing with not only students and, and teachers, but also the community. I hope that's true. And it's also true that in a network, in an ecosystem, that there are many hubs of leadership. Sure. Right? It's, it's not an organization where there's a clear head and then everyone. So in a network, there are many voices lifted up. There are many projects happening simultaneously. There are many stories being told. And ideally, if we're serving this idea of ecosystem well, we're really te- thinking about leadership as a plaza where sure. lots of voices can step forward in leadership at different points. And I think it speaks to also the fact that, uh, you know, how important education is. Uh, It's not just a teacher issue. It's not just an administrator issue. It is a community. It should be a community led and organized, uh, uh, you know, endeavor, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, schools are integral to the fabric, but um, uh, schools can um, never be expected (laughs) And should never be expected to do all the things that, unfortunately, too many of us expect schools to be doing, right? Sure. And, and that's why embracing this idea of an entire learning landscape of, of recognizing, well, what is the role of school? What is the role of the family? What is the role of the library and the museum and the after-school program? What is the role of the doctor's office? Sure. How can learning happen at the bus stop, at the playground, in the grocery store? How do we really embrace this idea of learning, that learning happens everywhere, sure. and really build with funding, with money, with organizing, with marketing, a broader sensibility of what it might be, as we'd say around here, to be Kidsburg, right? I mean, if we really have this ambition as a community to be a great place for kids and made easier for parents, then we have to share that responsibility and it has to be shared in many places. And and this simple idea of using the word learning, you know, we don't say remake education, because at least in the American context, education means too much. It means schooling for most people, right? Sure. They think of school. And, and I think we made ourselves lucky by merely using the word learning because it expands our sensibility of all the places where learning happens, which is everywhere. Right. And, and you know, just because you're not in school doesn't mean you're learning. And, and, and on the pod, we've talked about, you know, everybody throws around this learning loss. Yeah. Uh, a phrase for the past 14 months. And it's like, kids are always learning. They're always soaking in information. It may not be ancient Greece uh, in unit six or whatever it is, but uh, their students are always, kids are always learning. Humans are designed to learn. Um, so I, think, I, I would not like, I probably got swept up months ago in this idea of learning loss. And fortunately, um, you know, listened enough to realize, no, we really need to talk about learning acceleration. And of course, by traditional measures, yes, you know, maybe math scores aren't what they were previously, but, you know, we don't have the assessments in the world to capture learning. We didn't have a pre-pandemic. Sure. And there's all sorts of learning that's otherwise been happening. So how do we really tap into that community wisdom? How do we tap into the passions and interests? How do we embrace this idea of learning acceleration? Because, I don't know, maybe there's been a renaissance of learning in these past 14 months and, and we're missing that 
because too much of the public narrative is about learning loss, which is not the right focus. Correct. Yeah. And, and I, we had, um, I had Zareta Hammond again on the pod last uh, two, a uh, couple weeks ago for, for this side pod that I did called pandemic pass. And she, she talked about how do we flip that deficit thinking about learning loss, like, and, and flip it into a positive mindset that we're always learning that kids are learning and that they probably learned a lot more, maybe not as you said, you know, the exact pathway, uh, that we had intended in school, but they're learning, right? Um, and isn't that the idea ultimately of an ecosystem? Yes. It's a positive yeah. approach to recognizing the assets all across a community where learning happens. And we don't want kids to, to graduate high school and then all of a sudden stop reading and learning. That would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my, my last question before we, we give you a plug for some of the things you're working on um, I'm I'm curious, you know, our podcast is based in the DC metro area. There's a lot of folks who are thinking about policy in the Biden administration. And, um, and I'm not saying that Joe Biden is listening to our podcast, but if Jill is, I, I'm on board. Um, but what, what kind of federal and state, federal, state, local policy changes do you think, um, I, I guess, I don't want to speak to what's not happening, but what kind of federal, state, local policy changes should be happening that would, might help your work? Yeah, there are a number of things that can happen. One is just the symbolic leadership of language, talking about communities, talking about neighborhoods, talking about learning landscapes, a White House commission, a White House paper, a U.S. ed um, um, pronouncement about learning ecosystems would matter a lot. But there are some very practical things that can happen, and I'll give you a Pennsylvania example. So a number of years ago, the state of Pennsylvania designed a new grants program called PA Smart. And among other things, this grant pro- grants program supports clusters of schools or park systems or even private industry working together, primarily around STEM and computational thinking. Mm. That's an approach to grant making that could happen at a federal level. You know, money that actually incentivizes schools and museums and libraries and park systems and others to work together in some new ways yeah. that we haven't. So we could think about public Um, budgeting differently at a state or federal level. We can think about um, some regs in the Office of Planning and Evaluation at U.S. Ed. Uh, We can think about the symbolic leadership that the White House could could add. There is, um, I actually drafted a paper for an organization called Day One. um, And this paper is about this precise matter that you've asked. What what is a potential federal level response to supporting community learning ecosystems? That's great. And, and I, I, for all the, we, we've had John King on the podcast, former ed secretary. So maybe we can get some more uh, uh, inroads with, with some changes that'll bring in some more systemic changes for, uh, for these learning ecosystems. Cause it's really exciting stuff. And as someone who, uh, you know, in, in my education work and, and with Robbie and Pete, who you will meet at some point, uh, we're all about innovation and making positive changes to schools. So um, we're, we're excited that you're, you join. I'm, I'm excited that you joined us today and, uh, I'm excited to bring you back. So, uh, for, let's, let's end with a plug here. Um, tell our listeners about, uh, we'll, let's start with remake learning. Tell them about what, what remake learning is all about. If you, if, you know, if you haven't covered it already and, and what you're all working on, and then we'll talk about your book. Yeah. So remake learning, which you can read about at remakelearning.org or Remake Learning Days at remakelearningdays.org. Today is a vibrant um, network of more than 600 schools and other sites of learning that essentially helps educators and their allies do what they do and do it better. 
with attention to relevancy, engagement, and equity and justice in their work. And um, it's, it's a network that supports educators year round uh, across Southwestern Pennsylvania and Northern West Virginia. And as an example of some recent work, launched a new working group around personalized learning, has a public will building campaign called Remake Tomorrow, and, um, and also has just announced uh, a whole set of moonshot grants. Hmm. So as we think about post-pandemic learning, what does, um, how can we invest in some of the R&D right now to get to the new places of learning we want to be on the other side of this pandemic? That's great. And, and uh, maybe there's some good idea. I did a, 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 like I said, I did that side pod called Pandemic Pass. Maybe our listeners can feed some ideas that we, uh, that we covered in those podcasts too, because we got a lot of good people on. And I'll tell you one other thing that's really exciting too is Remake Learning over this past month has worked closely with KnowledgeWorks out of Cincinnati and the Pennsylvania Department of Education um, to convene both a regional and a statewide panel about post-pandemic learning. And in that process has engaged more than 200 superintendents and administrators from across Pennsylvania, has surveyed more than 1,000 educators and principals. And I... I'm hopeful we're on the cusp of, of general redesign of education and learning, at least here in Pennsylvania on the other side of this pandemic. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, we have a lot of opportunity right now to really rethink how we're, how we're teaching and learning and how teaching and learning exists in our community. So um, that's, that's awesome. So let, let's, let's end with your book. So I just found out that you wrote a book. I'm very excited to get it. Uh, it's called When You Wonder, You're Learning. Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, and Caring Kids. As a former Mr. Rogers fan, I shouldn't say former fan, current fan, former viewer, tell us about this book. Tell us about what it is. So I'm a Western Pennsylvania kid. Oh, there we go. That's it. My co-author, Ryan Rydzeski, is also a Western Pennsylvania kid. So um, your listeners might not know that Fred Rogers films Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood at WQED right here in Pittsburgh for more than four decades. And WQD is America's first public television station. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I mentioned Fred Rogers because we talk often about Fred Rogers and that Fred Rogers narrative and the Fred Rogers method around here. Because, you know, if we think about Mr. Rogers, we all understand and appreciate that he was someone completely grounded in what today we call whole child development theory and practice, right? He understood kids He studied with the likes of Margaret McFarland, but also Benjamin Spock and Eric Erickson and some other giants of child development theory that were here in Pittsburgh in the 1950s and 60s. And we should also think about Fred Rogers as a learning scientist, Hmm. as, as an innovator, as someone who recognized the technology of his day and said, how do I take advantage of television and make it good and constructive? Right. When we think about so many of the people who are remaking learning today, Yes, there are teachers, and there also are technologists, our roboticists, our gamers, and other words, and others, right? And in the concept of the neighborhood, right? When we think about the neighborhood, when we think about our learning ecosystems, the surprising thing about Fred Rogers' work is that he left us a blueprint for learning that, um, while designed 50 years ago, is incredibly modern and relevant in 2021 and beyond deeply grounded in respect for children and mindful of the learning sciences and where learning is taking us. And so um, this is a book about learning, 
grounded in the narrative of Fred Rogers and his method and why that matters so much to us here in this part of the 21st century. Wow. I, I'm excited to read it. I, uh, as we talked off air, I'm a, I'm a relatively new dad. You have, you have two kids of your own. Um, does it, does it, does the book help figure out temper tantrums? Uh, it doesn't, but I, I'll tell you one personal story, <laughs> right? So, um, I'm not by no means a perfect parent. I, I won't even pretend I am. <laughs> but uh, this book came driving home for me in a very personal way about a month ago. And it happened on a Friday evening. I was exhausted. I threw myself on the living room floor. I just desperately wanted to watch um, three March Madness games. And so I was flipping the camera. I mean, flipping the remote. And my daughter was lying on the sofa right behind me with her head on the armrest. And I'll tell you, in my right ear, right out of the left field wall, I heard her say, daddy, am I going to be shot? Oh dear. Now I'll tell you, um, wow. An unfortunate number of families all across America have heard that question probably too many times. Yeah. The lucky among us will never hear that. For me, that was my first time. And my, my daughter, whose mom is Asian American Mm -hmm. is beginning to develop her own sense of identity, recognizes herself as partly Asian Mm-hmm. And that was the week um, when a number of people had been killed in Atlanta mm. because of simply being Asian American. And, um, and I mentioned that to say that the lessons of Fred Rogers came home to me yeah. in the sense that I had to notice her question. I had to acknowledge her question. I had her, uh, you know, t- to convey a sense of both physical and psychological safety. Sure. I had to acknowledge that her big feelings are okay. And I had to wonder aloud together with her about that. And, you know, our book gets into Fred Rogers getting us to places of curiosity and creativity and communications. But it also reminds us continuously, as Fred did, and again, he didn't use the word social emotional learning, but kids have to feel a sense of safety. They have to feel a sense of belonging. They have to know that they're going to be respected. They have to know that their questions are respected. And it's a profound emotional example that I share with you. And sure. um, I, I now no longer cry about it, but it's, um, <laughs> but it's an example of how this book, even for me came driving home. Yeah. Um, and I'm finding in, even in very mundane ways in my life here at home, that this book is um, impacting me. Wow. That's, that's powerful. And uh, I, I personally can't wait to read it. Um, Greg, thanks for coming on the show. It's really been a pleasure meeting you in person and, uh, being able to talk to you today. So I, I, I'm excited to get you on the, uh, the full pod whenever that is when we, to get you to talk more. We want to talk more about this uh, When You Wonder Your Learning book because I, I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm excited to read it. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real honor to be here. Mm-hmm.